Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, some days hosting the show is just fun. Especially when Brendan comes back with Toto. Do you know who the song's about? No idea. Rosanna Arquette. Go look her up. You can understand why he wrote the song. 135 in Edmonton. You can text us at 780-496-0063. Royal Pizza, pizza, pasta, and so much more. Edmonton-owned and operated for over 50 years. For a menu and a list of their 15 Edmonton and area locations, go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. The Stauffer recommendation is the Mediterranean chicken. Brendan Escott's a fan of the Texan. Reed Wilkins likes meat lovers. All right, uh, I got to read this text before I bring in Jonathan Willis from The Athletic because he's going to be laughing about it. Terry from New West, home of the New Westminster Bruins, one of the toughest teams in all-time junior history. Not a surprise where this text is coming from. Terry from New West says, Bob, is Ken Holland going to add a legitimate heavyweight to the Oilers' 23-man roster, or are we set for another year of the Oilers finishing 32nd in fighting majors? I think I know what Jonathan Willis is going to say about that when we come back. But Jonathan here from The Athletic. He is our Oilers Now headliner today for Wilhock Beef Jerky. Just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Jonathan Willis, how you doing? I'm doing really well, Bob. How are you? Good. Are you upset that the Oilers haven't gone out and signed themselves a heavyweight? (laughs) Well, I... I, No. I, I could I could stand a little more grit on the fourth line. I'd be okay with that. But uh, fighting majors really don't seem like they drive winning these days. So I I don't care. <laughs> there is yeah there is a there's I think you gotta have I think the games evolve like. 10, 12 years ago, I think, yeah, you need a, a protector out there, right? And I, I think we're at a completely different place, to say the least. All right, uh, let's get to it. You've written a couple pieces in the uh, last four or five days after a little bit of a step away. We hadn't heard a lot from you. And uh, and by the way, part of today's concept in relation to the whole Figo transfer situation from Barcelona and ended up in Real Madrid, part of today's conversation is who would you have loved, uh, you know, as uh, an Oiler fan or somebody you know, you know, for me, an Oilers broadcaster, spec an Oilers writer. Who would you love to have seen in Edmonton that played in Calgary? And for me, Jerome McGinley would be the slam dunk from the past. And I would take Elias Lindholm off the current team. Uh, any suggestions on your team, uh, on your part, past and present, as who, if you could poach somebody from Calgary, you would have liked to have poached? Well, geez, Bob, you, you, it's kind of hard to argue with Jerome McGinley. I mean, what a, what a pleasure it was to watch him, even even as an Oilers. You know, if you're an Oilers fan, I, I think you you watch that guy play, and it was an absolute joy what he was able to do in the dead puck era. He was a he was a total, uh, a, a, you know, in all situations guy who could do everything. He played it tough. He played skilled. He could he could do anything you wanted. Um, and any any Oilers fan, I'm sure, was cheering for him when he was wearing the Team Canada jersey at the very least. Off the current team, um, you know, I'm. It, if you could go back and grab Jacob Markstrom, I'd be okay with that. Yep. I, I know I know they're pretty well set with Jack Campbell now, but I, I've always been a fan of Markstrom's game, and, and he would have been a really good fit if he'd come over a couple of years earlier. Are you surprised what the Oilers have been able to do to Markstrom over the last couple of seasons? Because they've gotten to him. Especially in the postseason last year, yeah. I, I really thought that was going to be a tougher series than it was. I did not picture it going five games. I thought the Oilers had a good chance to advance, but... Not that quickly, and and the biggest reason they it happened the way it did was because Markstrom kind of came apart at the seams. 
You wrote uh, two separate pieces here over the last week. I'd like to first talk about is the time now for the Oilers to move out assets to get immediate help. Are they in the win-it window? Uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned it enough times that some of the listeners are now doing a drinking game. But, uh, you know, the last ten, the Oilers still have all their first-round picks from the last 10 years still in the organizations. You know, Nurse, Drysaddle, McDavid, Poliarvi, Yamamoto, uh, Bouchard, uh, and then Broberg, obviously, uh, Holloway, Borgo and now Schaefer. Edmonton's retained their first, their number one over the last couple of years. And, and, and there was, Jonathan, in January, there were a lot of Oilers fans. Ken Holland must do something. He must trade it. Well, it turned out he made the coaching change and it made an unbelievable, and we'll hit on that briefly in a second, but it made a big change to the team. Is the time now for Edmonton potentially to move a number one? And is that more difficult to do in what is supposed to be a super deep draft year, especially at forward? I think it is more difficult to do because of that 2023 draft class. You know, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's reputed to be the strongest draft in several years. I, I'd be okay with moving a, a player who was previously selected in the first round versus doing the 2023 first. But I think you also have to think about moving your first rounder this year because you look at that Edmonton team, and I know Ken Holland ruffled a lot of feathers at the 2021 deadline when he said, you know, you can't go in every all in every year. You have to pick and choose. But the fact is he hasn't had the team to work with. And you can you can blame that on Holland. You can blame it on Peter Shirelli. You can blame it on whoever you want. But the fact is the Oilers have been not a great team at five-on-five five for years and years. And when that changed was at the, that moment you highlighted when they brought in Jay Woodcroft and, you know, Evander Kane as well. So they became a real five-on-five team. They made noise in the playoffs last year. They looked like a team that's a legitimate contender. And that's the point you go all in. You don't go all in when you've got a middling team that you're hoping becomes a contender. You go all in when you look like a contender and you're looking for a piece to bring you over the top. Now, whether that's this fall or whether that's the trade deadline, that to me is a little bit fluid. But at some point this season, if if they can keep doing what they've done so far under Woodcroft, it's going to be the time to push all the chips to the center of the table. We're joined by Jonathan. Jonathan Willis from The Athletic, the piece that he wrote, which uh, dropped on Saturday, August 27th, the Edmonton Oilers are rapidly approaching their all-in moment. Tell me this, Jonathan, has the perception of Ken Holland changed over the last couple, over the last year and a half or so? Well, I'm sure it has. Like, anytime a team has success, you have to give credit to the guy in the top spot. Now, there's people who are never going to like Ken Holland. There's people who were always going to like Ken Holland. Like there were, there were people who hated Peter Shirelli from day one and, and people who were defending him basically right up to the press conference where they fired him. So, but, but the people in the middle, I, I think have probably cut Holland a little more slack. I think the one place where we've really seen it is um, the, the, the way he's handled Pugliarvi. You know, when he walked away for a year, there was a lot of, well, we got to trade him now, got to trade him now. Why hasn't he made a move? or even people blaming him for letting him walk. But now that he's come back and been productive, I, I know his future in Edmonton, you know, maybe still a little bit uncertain, given that he's only on a one-year contract. But Holland's got value out of that piece, and that looked like an irreparable relationship at that point. So you have to give him credit for the things he's done well. He's, he's made mistakes. He said he was going to make mistakes. But he, he's certainly done some things right, and uh, somewhere near the top of that list is the coaching change. Are you surprised he hasn't moved a first-round pick to this point? No. Uh, you know, if you'd asked me that four years ago, is, is he going to move a first-round pick at some point in the next four years? I'd have said yes. But based on the teams he's had and the rationale he's laid out, 
no, he's he's always been this kind of guy. He's he's a patient, long term builder, um, and and the fact that he hasn't moved yet is to me justified by the team he's had, and and that explains why he hasn't moved one yet. So maybe explain to the listeners, Jonathan, if you can, why you're more bullish that the time is you know the orders are approaching the time now, and if you can, in in layman's terms on the analytics front. What dramatically changed under Jay Woodcroft that's, you know, you think maybe you're a little bit more bullish that now's the time to strike? It's a it's a pretty straightforward explanation. Like the Oilers have been at were a dynamite special teams club under Dave Tippett. At five on five, it doesn't matter what numbers you use. You can look at goals, you can look at shots, you can look at any of the more convoluted metrics. They were not a good five on five team. Since Jay Woodcroft took over, well, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight goal differential. I think they were minus six or minus eight. I can't remember. Minus six. Minus six minus under six. Tippett. Yeah, so minus six at five on five through 44 games. Last 38 games under Woodcroft, they were plus 20. Now, the underlying numbers weren't quite that dramatic a shift, but they were still pretty formidable. And uh, you, you marry what should be the best power play in the league with solid penalty killing with a fantastic five-on-five team, and you have a legitimate contender. But you don't have that without that base at five-on-five. And that's what changed in going from uh, Tippett to Woodcroft, and that's why I'm bullish on him now. All right, so Dave Tippett was 23-18-3 when he was relieved of his duties, 557 points percentage. Jay Woodcroft went 26-9-3, 724 when percent, uh, points percentage was second in the NHL. Uh, goal dif- this is straight goal differential. This is factoring in special teams goals as well. And netters and everything else. Goal differential for Dave Tippett was minus six. That was 18th in the league. Woodcroft was plus 40 in goal differential uh, when he took over. That was second in the NHL. Goals for the Oilers were 12th under Tippett. They were fifth under Woodcroft. Goals against, they were 23rd under Tippett. They were fifth under Woodcroft. Now, some of that has to do with save percentage. They were 25th yeah. in the league at 897 under Tippett. They were third in the league under Woodcroft at 915. Is that a byproduct of a Mike Smith goalie heater? Or was there something from what you saw that was supported by the advanced analytics that the Oilers were suppressing shots more effectively and and not giving up as much? Well, if you ask somebody who didn't know anything about it, given how dramatic the change was, they'd probably say a little bit of both. And I'm going to say a little bit of both. Okay. Because the way Mike Smith played to close out the year, he, he was red hot. I mean, you couldn't argue with it. We all saw what he did. It was an incredible run. And uh, that, that was kind of the story of him as an oiler so far. It's been hot and cold, right? When he's, when he's bad, he's, not, he's bad. But when he's good, boy, he's lights out. But having said that, the underlying metrics improved. You look at shot rates. You look at... Um, dangerous Corsi, so, you know, shot attempts from high-danger areas. All of these things improved under under Woodcroft. So there's a real be- reason to believe that that goal change, some of it at least, is going to be sustainable. Now, you're not going to get Vezina-caliber goaltending every night the way Woodcroft did down the stretch there, but a lot of what he did can be repeated next year. Five-on-five five, uh, goals for percentage. The Oilers uh, under Woodcroft were fourth in the NHL, 56%. And high danger uh, scoring chances for fifty five point seven nine. That was six yeah. in the league. So there's you know, and and we, the, ironically enough, their power play went down. 
I mean, it was second in the league when Tippett was relieved at 27.6%, and Woodcroft was ninth at 24.1%. But this is a power play the last three years. They were third overall last year in the league and first the two years before. We know they're going to have a top five power play in the, the league because they've got two of the best players in the world. So, you're, well, and, and, and just, just while you're on that, going back to that text you opened the segment with, Back in the day when people talked about Edmonton needing an enforcer, Detroit usually didn't run one because they had, you know, that fantastic Red Wings power play with Zetterberg Uh and uh, Datsuk. You look at the Oilers today, they've got that power play. People say, you know, well, you got to hit them to keep them from taking liberties with you. That power play is something coaches are very aware of. They don't want to take penalties against Edmonton. Uh, The Oilers gave up a a second round pick, two second round picks to get Athens Seal. That trade did not work. They gave up a second round pick to get Kulak. Did that trade exceed expectations? I think so. I, I've always liked Kulak. I liked him back when he was in Calgary, and I, I think he went to Montreal via waivers. I, I, I always liked the guy, but I thought a second-round pick was a little steep for the role he was playing. But the fact they were able to re-sign him and, and keep him in town on a very reasonable contract, like I think he, he, the, the number he's at, he can be on your second pair, but if he's at some point supplanted by, say, a Philip Broberg and he's your third pair at number five guy, that's perfectly okay, too. You pay a second-round pick to get a defenseman who has so much versatility in his game and who clicked so beautifully with uh, Tyson Berry down the stretch. Absolutely, you got to call that a win. All right, you wrote another piece. Uh, how do the Oilers get salary cap compliant without making a trade? Um, I've got my little index cards that I update once a week, uh, and, with, and just... This doesn't mean these are going to be the lines, but with McDavid, Kane, and Hyman, Drysaddle, R&H, and Yamamoto, McLeod, Fogel, and Pugliarvi, Shore, Yanmark, and Ryan, and then uh, Nurse and CeCe, Kulak, and Bouchard, Broberg, and Barry, Campbell, and Skinner. That's 12-6-2, and two, and right now I've got them at $81.2 million on an $82.5 million cap. So that doesn't include Ryan McLeod's salary. If it's a one-year deal, it's going to be less than a million bucks. So that's 12-6-2. and two. That's pretty tight against the cap. They'd be coming in about $82.2 uh, million, and that's not technically factoring in the bonuses for a couple players. Um, how, much of a ch- how, how difficult do you think this is going to be to be cap compliant by October the 12th? Well, it's, it's not easy. Actually, you know, since we're, since we're talking, would, would you put your money? I, I personally, I'd put my money on a trade happening. Would you, would you do that if you had to bet? Uh, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. But they don't. The nice thing about where Edmonton is is they don't have to make a trade. That's not to say it's going to be a painless path to cap compliance. But if you put Warren Fogle in the minors, you can be cap compliant with a 21-man roster. That's not that's not a choice you want to make. He is not a minor league player. I'm actually a Warren Fogle fan. I was I was expecting they were going to be able to move money around and he was going to play a, a more prominent role this year. Yeah. I think you always have to be leery when a guy's had kind of a so-so first year in Edmonton. We've seen that before. A lot of times they're better in their second season. But you could send him down just based on where teams are at cap-wise. I think there's a better-than-average chance he would clear waivers. And if that happened, you could make a 21-man roster that would be cap compliant. Now, you'd have to do a few things. You'd have to send Hall away down. You'd have to send a lot of guys who are making more than minimum wage down. You'd have to finish off your lineup with a couple of, you know, $750,000, $775,000 contracts. But you can do it. And what makes it more appealing for Edmonton than it would be for other teams is the comfort level that the coaching staff has with an 11-7 alignment, 11 forwards and 7 defensemen. So you could run with just one spare, you know, 12 forwards, 7 defensemen 
defensemen as your skaters, and if somebody gets hurt, well, they can roll either way. The only thing with that, Jonathan, is there are, you know, I don't I, like. I don't think like Kulak wants to play in the top four, but he certainly wants to be getting a regular rotation. And I, I'd be interested to know what kind of uh, conversations existed uh, with guys, you know, maybe committing here. I, I don't think defensemen like playing eleven and seven, so I get it. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, do they move a Fogel? Do they move Poliarvi at this stage? Um, if they move one of those guys that can do a two-year term on McLeod, if they don't, we're looking at a one-year deal. All right. Tell me this: How do people uh, follow your uh, follow your, check your stuff out, Jonathan? Uh, you can always subscribe to the Athletic. We've got a great team of writers. But if you're just interested in following me, I am on Twitter at Jonathan Willis. Hey, thank you for your time. Let's do this again. My pleasure, Bob. You take care. Hey, you bet. That's Jonathan Willis. He is our Oilers now headliner. Uh, brought to you today by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock W I L H A U K today. We will wrap up Oilers now with this day in Oilers history when we return. A couple notes for you. Sam Steele has signed a deal with the Minnesota Wild. One year, $825,000. A guy that Anaheim elected not to qualify uh, after being a late first-round pick of the uh, Ducks organization several years ago. That was in 2016, the same year that uh, Tyler Benson went 32nd overall uh, early in the uh, second round for the uh, Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the Women's uh, IIHF Women's Hockey Championship, Canada's playing in the United States. This is round robin game. Canada was being outshot at 1.12-2. Uh, they were up 2-0 after the first period. They now trail 3-2 in the third period, and they're now out shooting the U.S. 25-22. So they've outshot the U.S. 23-10 since leading 2-0 and have given up uh, a three-goal run for the Americans. Crazy. That's why we love hockey. To this day in Oilers history for New West Travel going back in the state in 2012, here's Brendan Escott. The Oilers signed right winger Jordan Eberle to a six-year, $36 million extension on the heels of his career-best 76-point campaign. Played five more seasons here in town, failing to reach the 70-point plateau, and then was shipped to New York for Ryan Strom. Uh, Lance from Leduc says, Bob, what's going on with Oscar Clefbaum? Is he ever going to play again? Doesn't look like it. Uh, he'll be on. This is the last year coming up of him being on LTIR. Uh, him and Mike Smith expected to be on LTIR this year in the final years of their contracts. And Drew from Saskatchewan says, Bob, longtime listener, first time texter, love the question. Uh, which Oiler? Gee, I wonder if I know Drew from uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, the question was. Uh, past flame, current flame. Who would you want to poach from the Flames organization? Uh, past flame, I'd go with Aginla, and current flame, without a doubt, has to be Brad Trelawney. Brad's had a great summer, man. Reed Wilkins says inside sports, he's back at it. Oh yeah. We don't have the mid ninety Chicago Bulls. <laughs> uh, you will hear from Jack Michaels, however. Uh, Murray McCourt from the Ranch Golf and Country Club as well. Introducing the starting lineup of your world champion Chicago Bulls. The man in the middle. <laughs> Then he does at the end. Out of North Carolina. Tomorrow, John Shannon for Legacy Heating and Cooling and cult to hockey writer for the Edmonton Journal, David Staples, will be amongst our guests. We, too, are in a fluid situation. Hey, thank you to all of you who participated in the interactive elements of the show and had some fun with us on today's edition of Oilers Now. Up next, the global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Possibly Ray LaHue.
followed by Rob Breckenridge from two to three. It is Eileen. We confirmed that. It is Eileen Bell. There we go. Well, one of them's cheering for Brigham Young. Uh, Rob Breckenridge up from two to three in the 630 chat afternoons with Jayla and I back at you tomorrow.